Well, a big welcome again to Equipus Church, wherever you're joining us from. We're glad to have you uh, with us today, whether you're in one of our locations around the country or maybe you're joining us somewhere around the world online. It's good to have you uh, with us. And I, I just pray from the outset that today, you know, even the Word of God is just going to speak to your heart. The Word of God has the ability to locate us where we are and then challenge us and encourage us to stretch further into what God has for us. And uh, really, as a church, we've been on a journey together, looking at this, this series of By Faith. We're talking about how we don't live according to kind of what we see around us, but we live by faith, that we are people that are governed by faith, that we determine our decisions by faith. Our direction of life comes from our faith. And, you know, with the year we've been in and all that's gone on, I just love the fact that, you know, coming out here in New Zealand of our second wave of lockdown, you know, just our senior leader, Pastor Sam, just going, you know what, we need to take that rest of this year by faith, that it's faith that determines our direction, it's faith that determines the atmosphere around us, because uh, it's so easy often to be governed by the things externally, uh, but there's something about the Christian walk that says, you know what, no, I've got to, I've got to, I'm governed internally, I've got faith in my heart, so I've got belief in my heart, so I've got hope for what's ahead, and there's great things ahead for us as Equipus Church, but there's also great things ahead for each and every person. Really, I want to look at this kind of concept of faith in in a way today that's kind of looking at the idea of, well, really, it's as we journey with God, our faith develops. My faith has developed over time. The faith I had as a teenager is a lot different to the faith I need, and now I'm heading into my 30s. There's there's a difference, or there's there's a growing of faith. A lot of people, you know, it's easy to kind of think of faith in a few ways. And one of the ways is it's like on off switch. I have faith in a moment and I don't have faith. But I've come to realize probably in my journey, it's less on and off, but it's more like a muscle that grows and it stretches out and it retracts. That actually there's times in my life when my faith is growing. And then there's been situations in my life that has caused my faith to retract or to shrink. And now I've come to realize that as God takes us on the journey He has for us, our faith develops with that journey. But also I've come to realize as my faith develops, my journey develops also. That in some situations, God will take your life on a path that is going to put you in situations that's going to stretch your faith. And then there's other times God will cause you to stretch your faith so then He can reveal the path ahead of you that's going to require that faith. So the question really is, is do I, when it comes to the retracting of faith or, or the retracting of your, the shrinking of your faith, is it more that actually when I stop on the journey of God or I stop following the path God has for me, my, sh- my faith stops or my faith shrinks or my faith plateaus? Or does my faith plateau so I stop pursuing the journey God has for me? I've come to realize in life it's, it's a bit of a both 
and situations. There's been times where I've paused in my journey or I've become stagnant in my journey, so then I've become stagnant with my faith. But then there's other times where it's actually been my faith through discouragement has caused me to to halt or to, to shrink internally, so then I've pulled my journey in. But what we really want to believe for, and, and, and we are a people here at Equippers, are people that we want to develop our faith. We want to grow faith. We want to pursue the journey and the dream God has for us. And so in order to do that, we need to allow our faith to keep up with the journey, but also we need to allow our faith to develop so God can reveal more of the journey. And you know, there's, there's, there's times in life where actually on the journey of God, we come to dangerous moments when the journey of God becomes likable or livable. It's like we can be pursuing God with, with our heart, and, and then we can be pursuing the journey of God, but we come to a comfortable spot on the road. You know, I, I, before I working for church, I was, I was a tradesman. Now, there's good and bad things about being a tradesman. One good thing about being a tradesman is you can renovate your own house. The downfall about being a tradesman is you have to renovate your own house. And uh, there's this tension of, of I can do it, but I don't always want to do it. And, uh, you know, I, my old boss uh, who I was recently worked for, uh, he had been renovating his house for like 10 years. Because the danger with the tradesmen when they're renovating their own home is they know how to get a house livable. They know how to get it to a point where it's functional and it's livable and I'll get around to doing the rest of the stuff I know I should do, but it's livable. And I've even realized sometimes even in our walk with God, there's times where actually the pursuit of the journey God has for us comes to a point where we, we, know, we go, you know what, this isn't the ideal situation, but it's a situation I'm prepared to live in or a situation I'm prepared to live with. But faith doesn't settle in a, in, a, in a spot on the journey. But what faith does, faith is the ability to keep pushing forward, not for just what's livable, but the journey and the dream God has ahead of us. You know, that, that sense to awaken a spirit. And I even pray today, God would, would awaken that sense of, come on, there is, there is more in store. There is more, the greatest days are still ahead of us. You know, the, one, one thing, we're about to head into Christmas season. And one thing I, I actually don't like about Christmas, well, there's a couple of things I don't like about Christmas. Uh, main thing being fruitcake. I'm not a big fan of fruitcake. Uh, the other thing I don't like about Christmas so much is Secret Santa. Now, the reason I, I don't like Secret Santa is, is not because I don't like giving gifts. I, I actually like the feeling of generosity. Uh, I don't like the, the, the journey of selecting a gift, actually going out and having to think, what? do I get this person? Now, growing up in my family, uh, uh, my father, uh, he doesn't have everything, but he also is one of those guys who doesn't really want anything. 
And so it's like when you're in Secret Santa and you draw his name out of the hat, it's like, oh my gosh, what do I, what do I get this guy? There's only so many times you can buy uh, your father's scorched almonds and Link's body wash. There's, there's only so many times that runs out when you're about 10 years old. And so now we're all adults. It's like when you draw the name out of the hat, because there's a contentment with what he has, we, we find it hard to know what to buy him because there isn't the desire or the want that is so evident and for some other people. Now, I kind of even realize sometimes in our Christian walk, there's a tension we live with between I am content with God and I'm content with where I am and I'm content in Him versus now I also have faith to believe for more, to go after more, to stretch out for more. And this is really a tension in Christianity that we got to learn how to navigate. I'm content that God is enough, but I've also got a desire to take hold of everything God has for me. And really this By Faith series is provoking us to say, come on, there is more to reach for. The dream is still ahead of us. Come on, have faith to continue the journey. Don't stop where you are. Don't camp where you are, but let's believe God can take us into more of what He has for us. And really what I want to do is I want to look at the story of Abraham. Now, for those watching or streaming in that have uh, uh, heard about Abraham, he's known in, in Christian world as a, really the father of our faith. He was a great hero of faith in the Bible. Uh, but, but Abraham's journey kind of starts in this moment where God calls Abraham to leave his home. God gives him a promise, your descendants will become a, a great nation, but the first call upon for the first call for Abraham to act upon was just the hey, I need you to leave your home and I'll show you where I'm going to take you. So at this point, Abraham has a faith that says, Hey, just leave home and I'll show you. There's an element of faith required for Abraham to step out without assurance of what's ahead of him, but however, the faith Abraham needs needs for that decision is, is, is not at the same level as the faith Abraham's going to need down his journey. That he starts the journey with an element of faith, I can leave home and I don't quite have a plan ahead of me. Now, 80% of teenagers probably leave home with that same plan. I'm just going to move out. I'm going to enroll in this course and just see what happens. There's an element of faith that Abraham went with, but then later on we see in Abraham's journey when he finally has the promised son, the son God always promised him, God comes to a point where he even asks Abraham, hey Abraham, I need you to take Isaac up to the mountain and sacrifice him to me. Now there's a moment of faith that requires a whole, a whole new dynamic there of actually trusting, no, if this is God's promise, God will also bring about the fulfillment. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to be obedient. And for those who know the story, God stops Abraham once he realizes the willingness of Abraham's heart and supplies another sacrifice. But it took a greater measure of faith. But Abraham didn't leave home with that faith. That faith was developed on the journey. And you see on Abraham's journey where there's even moments where, uh, where Abraham 
became discouraged as the situations he was facing actually were forcing him to, to stretch his faith, but at times it actually discouraged him and he was pulling in his faith. The question we've got to ask ourselves today is not what level is your faith at, but is your faith growing? Right now, is your faith grow? What direction is your faith going at the moment? Is it growing? Has 2020 and the, the, the challenges of 2020 caused you to dig deeper and grow in faith or caused you to be discouraged and pull your faith in? Abraham himself comes to a moment of discouragement. Actually, he came to a point where he left home. God took him on a journey, but he came to a point where he thought by now I would have had a child. And in fact, he's, he's losing heart about the idea that he'll ever have a son. So he comes to God in Genesis 15 verse 3, and it says, And Abraham said to God, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will become my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him and said this, the man, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him aside and he took him outside because Abraham was inside the tent. So he took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall be your offspring. There's this moment where, where Abraham's lost the faith for the journey ahead because he's been discouraged with what he's seen. But God brings, comes to Abraham and then he speaks faith back into the heart of Abraham. But as he's speaking faith, what he actually does is take Abraham outside, gets him to look at the stars because he gets Abraham to recapture the dream. Hey, Abraham, I know you're discouraged, but you've lost sight of the dream. Remember the dream I've given you. Because as he recaptures the dream, he then recaptures faith to go after it. Sometimes the dream of God, because of discouragement or different things, we can lose sight of it. And in order to, for God to, to, to be able to revise faith in our heart, he actually needs us to recapture his dream. Come on, do you have hold of a God dream in your heart? Because we can talk about faith, but what is your faith for if you're not believing for the thing God has for you? That actually in the belief of what God has for you, he deposits the faith to go after it. So he says to Abraham, here is the dream, now let's have faith for that dream. And then there's this moment goes on where his faith again wavers because time again passes. So discouragement starts to set in again. In fact, Sarah, Abraham's wife, comes up with a plan. Hey, why don't you have a child with our servant? And then that can, he can be the ear and he can be the answer. This moment where they had lost faith that they could have a child, so they come up with a human solution so what is a faith problem? And I believe we do that more often than probably what I realize. 
is that often we would try and come up with human solutions because we're wavering and our, our faith is hindered or our faith is discouraged. So we try and make solutions because we want the journey, but God's putting pressure on our faith to develop for the journey. And so instead of embracing the faith, what we sometimes do is come up with human solutions to try and outwork faith problems. But as a people, and especially here at Equipers, we say, no, we're a people of faith. If God said it, we hold on to it. And then what happens in the journey is eventually in their old age, God gives them a child, a miraculous baby. Isaac is born. And like I said, then as Isaac grows up, there comes a moment where Abraham's heart is tested by the, through the obedience of the instruction of God to sacrifice him. But I love in that moment, at this point, Abraham doesn't waver. Abraham doesn't doubt. But he's like, yeah, we will go up. And then he also says, and we will return. That there's a faith at this point that God is going to come through and God is in control. It's not the same level of faith he left home with, but it's the faith he developed on the journey. And I believe that God takes us on a journey to develop our faith. But I also believe in other areas of my life, God develops my faith so I can see the journey. And I want to just quickly today look at a couple of stories in Luke 7. The reason I want to look at these stories is because here's two people that developed the faith that took hold of something from Jesus that no one else in that moment was taking hold of. There's two stories in Luke 7. The first one is it opens Luke 7 by talking about a story of, of a centurion, a Roman officer. Luke 7 then closes with another story about a sinful woman. Now, I want to look at these two stories because within these two stories, Jesus takes a moment to acknowledge the faith of these two. Now, when it comes to these stories, there's some similarities we need to be aware of. The first similarity is this, that actually there are both stories involved Jewish leaders. Both stories had people present that in the Jewish context were determined to be the religious ones or the righteous ones or the holy ones. They were determined to be the people of God. Both stories had people within them that were supposed to be or meant to be or seen to be the people of God. Also, both stories involved people that would have been considered as unholy, unworthy of God, or within the framework of what would consider to be God's people. Now, it's interesting, both had the righteous and seemingly unrighteous, but the faith wasn't found in those who were seen to be right. The faith was actually those who culturally were seen to be wrong. And there's, we see this in a moment that both of these people, one being the Roman officer. Now, the reason the Roman officer was seen to be unworthy or unholy was because he was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. So by birth and by nature, he was not a person of God. The other person in the, in the, in the second story is a sinful woman. So both of them were seemingly unworthy of God. And the 
other thing we, we come to realize, but is both these people, Jesus takes a moment to stop the story, to stop the crowd, to stop the people, and publicly acknowledge, and this person, I have found great faith. In Luke 7, verse 9, talking about the Roman officer, we find it when the story when they say, uh, Jesus says, when he heard this, he was amazed at him turning to the crowd following him. He said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. In Luke 7 verse 50, talking about the sinful woman, uh, this, Jesus stops the crowd and said to the woman, your faith has saved you go in peace. Now, I want to look at these two stories just real quickly because I believe there's characteristics about these people that enabled them to be able to receive or hold on to a faith that took something from Jesus that no one else was accessing. If we look at the centurion, some things we understand about a centurion or a Roman officer is this man would have been deemed as someone of strength, and seemingly have some level of influence. He would have had a hundred soldiers underneath him. So he was strong. He was seemingly as authority and influence. But also in verse two uh, of chapter seven, we find scripture says this, there was a centurion servant who his master valued highly was sick and about to die. From the opening of this story about this guy, we start to see that there is a centurion who was concerned about his servant. The story introduces this Roman officer as a good guy, a good leader. He was concerned for those who were sick in his household. So it opens the story by telling us he is a good guy. In verse three, it says the centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to ask him to come and heal his servant. Now what we can take from just this passage or this moment in Scripture is, is when it says he sent the elders. There's a good, belief, a good understanding or a belief that this centurion officer would have come to know a fair bit about Jewish religion and Jewish culture. He would also know that he was a Gentile, so seemingly unworthy of a prophet or a teacher's time. And so instead of approaching himself, he goes and finds the Jewish elders and says, would you approach for me? You are more worthy, you're more deserving, so there is more likelihood that you are going to be able to get Jesus to come here. I cannot go because I am not good enough, but you are good enough to approach and ask Jesus for what I need. And so he sends the Jewish leaders ahead of him. And in, in, in verse four, we find that when, the, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. Jesus went with them. This moment right here is when these elders or these leaders turn up to Jesus and plead their case. This guy is a good guy. He has done good. He has built the synagogue. He has been building your church. He has been doing your work. He has been loving your people. He deserves, Jesus, your time. He deserves for you to do something for him because he is a good guy. And then it talks about how when they pleaded their case, Jesus went with them. 
Now, in their mind, I can only imagine if I was them, I would have thought as I was walking away, there would have been conversation going, see, I knew Jesus would come because he's a good guy. Like, I know you doubted, but I knew that spell would work. But what, 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 what gets me out of this is the Jewish leaders thought Jesus came because the guy was deserving. But Jesus doesn't move based on whether we deserve it or not. Jesus moves based on his love towards us. Jesus didn't go because the guy deserved it. Jesus went because he desired to help. This is the same with our life. God doesn't move on the basis of what we deserve. God moves on what He desires for us. And God desires good things. But inherently, sometimes there's a thinking that if I do good, then I deserve good. You know, you look in verse 39, if we parallel this with the sinful woman, we see this in Scripture. It says, Here's actually the opposite situation where Jesus is sitting in a room of Pharisees and different people. And this woman, this sinful woman walks in, breaks a jar of oil and starts anointing the feet of Jesus and starts worshiping her. And then it says in verse 39, it talks about when the Pharisee who had invited him in, who had invited Jesus in, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. It's really interesting in the opening of Luke 7 and the closing of Luke 7, we find two stories. One is about a guy who seemingly deserved Jesus to do something because he was good, he deserved good. And in the closing, we find a story about a woman who was bad, so she deserved bad. That actually in this moment we find two stories of two different people, yet we find even though there was a, a seemingly strength and a seemingly weakness in, both, in, in the parallel stories, Jesus didn't move based on whether they deserved it. Jesus doesn't act because we deserve it. Jesus doesn't work because we deserve it. And sometimes I know it's probably easier to see it in the way we look at other people than what we see in ourselves. We look at people who are good people who, who get promotions or get a new house and we're like, you know what? They deserve it. They've been faithfully serving. They've been going about the work of God. They deserve the blessing of God. And then we see other people who we, we, we deem to be un, undeserving of God's blessing and favor and then they get the same blessing, they get an anointing, they get an opportunity. It's like, why, why them? Because inherently somewhere deep down, there's still a thinking that those who do good deserve good. So when I serve, I deserve. But I don't serve so I, because I deserve the presence of God. I serve because God desires the best for me, so I deserve to just serve out of the worship of my heart, the place of my heart. And if we carry on with the story of the centurion, because you see, even though the Jewish leaders looked at it this way, for both the officer and the sinner, neither of them was this their response. Because if we have a I do good, so I deserve good mentality, the danger in that is we'll only go after what we believe we deserve. 
but God deserves far greater for your life than you know. That God doesn't want you to just take hold of what you deserve. God wants to take ho- you to take hold of what he desires for you. And there's a limitation in our thinking where we think our behavior is what determines what we can go after. They actually know by faith, I'm going to take hold of things. See, in verse 6, the story about the officer carries on to say, so Jesus went with them. He was not far from the centurion's house when he sent his friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. He goes on to say, I'm a man under authority, and I understand authority. If you say it, it will be done, but I don't deserve to have you come into my house. Here's a, a Roman officer who is in a place of what the Jewish people would say, you know what, he's been building the house. He's been loving the people. So Jesus, he deserves you. But as Jesus makes his way, I love the response of the Roman officer because he sends someone here and says, you know what, Jesus, regardless of what I've done, I, or regardless of what I'm doing, I realize I'm undeserving because I recognize your authority. I recognize who you are and the authority you carry. So although I'm out here trying to do my best at serving your people and serving your house, I'm still unworthy to have you come into my into my space. That there was a humility in the heart of a Roman officer that tapped into the authority of Jesus. And a Roman officer Jesus acknowledges and says, in all of Israel, I have not found such great faith. He had met John the Baptist. He had met all the disciples at this point. But in a, in a Roman officer who had a humility in his heart to say, I'm not deserving Jesus, but if you would just say the word, I know it can be done. Jesus, if you just say it, I know there's an authority. I don't need you to come here. I just need you to speak. An authority that he understood, released a faith that he could hold on to. I'm humble to acknowledge the authority. And because I acknowledge the authority, i got faith that Jesus can move on the basis of a word. Great faith released from great humility. The other story, just as we finish off today, kind of concludes as, a bit in a different way. And that's what I love about these two stories is for the Roman officer was Jesus, don't come here. I don't deserve you. I acknowledge your authority. And all I need is a word because your words carry power. But for that other story, it's a sinful woman who walks into a room with the same humility in her heart. It talks about in verse 38, as she walked in, she stood behind him at his feet. She began uh, to wet his feet with her, ter- her, her tears, and she wiped it with his hair, kissing them and poured perfume on them. It expresses her worship that's expressing her humility. But for the Roman officer, he said, don't come to my house. But what I love about the sinful woman, for her, how her humility was displayed, was she walked into a room she didn't deserve to be in. That in the Jewish context, when the, when the Jewish men are sitting around having a meal, especially the Jewish leaders, that a sinful woman isn't to walk into the room. But I love this woman. 
Because she, in her humility, recognises Jesus, recognises the authority of Jesus, and recognises the redemptive power of Jesus. She says, I know I don't deserve it, but I'm going to step into it because Jesus is there. That Jesus can put me in rooms I don't deserve to be in. That I can walk in. Why? Because of the redemptive power of Jesus. That I have faith that I can step into environments that on my own right, I don't deserve to be in. But by faith in who Jesus is, if this is where he is and this is where he wants me to go, then I can take hold of it by faith because Jesus is there. And I just love these two stories because you got two people in two different scenarios that respond in different ways but it's all driven from the same heart. First, they had humility to acknowledge Jesus and their need of him. The acknowledgement, whether I'm in strength or whether I'm in weakness, I need Jesus. From their humility, the next thing they had was their worship. The woman never said anything to Jesus Yet Jesus acknowledged her faith. Why? Because her faith was displayed in the way she worshipped. In the way she worshipped. That what she was prepared to do, even pouring a year's worth of salaries out on the feet of Jesus, was just a sign. You know what, Jesus, I have full faith in you. If this is my worship towards you, this is, this is out of the faith of my heart. And Jesus acknowledged her faith when she expressed her worship. So they had humility. They knew what it meant to worship Jesus. And because of their humility and their worship, they saw the authority of Jesus. When everyone else just saw a good teacher, when everyone else just saw a prophet, when everyone else just saw what they saw when they looked at Jesus, these two people saw a man of authority. The authority that just his words are enough to change my world and the authority that he could redeem me regardless of the mess I'm in. Here is a redemptive power of God. And I believe it was their worship and their humility and their understanding of the authority of Jesus that gave them a faith, a faith that no one else had, a faith that Jesus acknowledged. And I believe just wherever you are today, I don't know what the situations that God's stretching your faith in. Perhaps today all you need is just the word from God. And I believe the Holy Spirit's just gonna remind you of his word. Come on, the word of God is powerful enough to change a situation. Jesus, I don't need, I'm, I, I'm gonna keep serving, I'm gonna keep loving, I'm gonna keep doing your thing. But Jesus, just give me a word and that's enough. I don't deserve it, but God, I'm so thankful that you desire these things for my world. Or perhaps the faith for you today is, hey, I'm gonna step into what I inherently believe I don't deserve. She walked into rooms she shouldn't have walked into. God wants you to occupy spaces that in your own strength, in what you deserve, you shouldn't be occupying. But the faith to go after it, the faith to move forward. You should have faith for that great family, faith for that great job, faith for that great marriage, faith for what God has for you, faith for the dream of God. 
oh, but I've done this and I've done that. Yeah, but the redemptive power of Jesus gives you faith to go. And I just pray today that wherever you are, God would just recapture the dream in your heart. But through our worship and our humility, we'll acknowledge, you know what? Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And He gives me faith for the journey whether it's through his word or whether it's the ability to redeem me to take hold of. But I'd just love to pray for you wherever you are. Holy Spirit, I just pray you'd come right now. You're speaking to every heart. Lord, especially for those right now who feel like their faith has shrunk or they've been waning or shrinking, pulling in internally. God, I just pray you'd deposit the faith even in this moment. Lord, the faith in in you, our King, our Lord. We acknowledge your authority, Jesus. We acknowledge your power. And so we look ahead. Lord, at the days that lie ahead of us, we look ahead with faith, knowing that you have the power to move, but also you got the power to redeem us and take us into every good thing you've got planned for us. So God, I just pray you come and revise faith in Jesus' name. Amen.